North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's getting $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday. You've tuned in to another episode of Dr. Low Radio, where you hear the very best in natural medicine. You know me. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren Noel, a.k.a. Dr. Low. Hopefully all of you have had a great start to your week and you're getting out in the sun and enjoying the summertime. Thanks for all the Facebook messages and the emails about the show last week. Last week's show was a record for the most listens. The topic was on vaccines, which makes sense why it was such a popular show. It's a very controversial topic. The guest was the amazing Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, who was holding nothing back. She doesn't bite her tongue for anybody, and that's what we love about her. If you missed the show, you can catch it as well as all the previous shows on DrLaurenNoel.com. Definitely pass it on to any parents or soon-to-be parents. It's a great source of information for anyone wanting to learn more about vaccines. And are they really as necessary as they are promoted to be? Maybe not. Check out the show. It's a great one. Uh, Next week, I will actually be taking the week off. I'm working on some things for my practice and revamping my website and writing an ebook, so I need some time to devote to that. But in two weeks, it will be all about sports medicine. How can naturopathic medicine enhance your athletic performance? How can you use nutrition and herbs to shorten recovery time? You'll get your questions answered on the show. We'll have the amazing Dr. Jason Barker as our guest, and he has a specialty in sports medicine. So mark your calendars. That will be in two weeks. An event happening right now is one that I have uh, mentioned a couple of times on the show. It is The Run. It's in progress right now. That's a naturopathic doctor running from San Francisco all the way to Connecticut over the course of the next three months. He and his family are running through. uh, They're actually in Lovelock, Nevada today, so they're officially out of California, and they are just chucking along. So to raise awareness for natural medicine, it's just an amazing um, cause that he's doing this for. So to donate, to get involved, to learn more, uh, visit therun.org. I've compiled some questions from Facebook and Twitter, but if you'd like to throw one in the pot for tonight's show, I'd be happy to ask it on the air. So you can do it on Facebook.com slash Dr. Low Noel or Twitter.com slash Dr. Lauren Noel. Or to bypass the line and just totally cut everybody, you can call and ask on the air, which is obviously the better thing to do, 818-495-6919. That's 818-495-6919. The topic for tonight doesn't need much of an introduction. We all have experienced this condition firsthand or know someone who has or know someone who has and know someone who has. It is the number one killer in our country, beating cancer, diabetes, stroke, and autoimmune disease. Tonight we're talking about heart disease. Every 34 seconds a person in the U.S. dies from heart disease, and more than 2,500 Americans die from heart disease each day. And this isn't affecting just adults. Even children now are having risk factors for for developing this disease. So what is really going on here? And what can naturopathic medicine offer in prevention and treatment of heart disease? Joining me tonight is a special guest who would probably call this area his forte. We have Dr. Martin Milner on the show. Dr. Milner is a naturopathic physician and is world-renowned for his natural treatment protocols for heart disease, menopause, and hypothyroidism. Dr. Milner has treated over 20,000 patients with heart disease alone over the course of his 23 years of practice as a physician. He's well-published with texts, medical journal articles, and studies in endocrinology, cardiology, pulmonology, oncology, and environmental medicine. Dr. Milner is the president and medical director of the Center for Natural Medicine, which is the first one and one of the largest ongoing integrative healthcare facilities in the Northwest. And he's a professor of cardiovascular and pulmonary medicine at the National College of Natural Medicine. To learn more about him, you can visit his website at www.cnm-inc.com. So I'll go ahead and bring him on the air. Dr. Milner, welcome to the show. Hi, Dr. Noel. Hi. How are you? I'm doing fabulous. How are you? Good. It's great to have you. I don't think I've talked to you for maybe a year now, huh? I know. Since you're <laughs> I know. You were my teacher. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, it's so great to have you on the show. And how are things up there in Portland? Beautiful. We have sunny, dry weather. For like two weeks, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just spoke to someone who was up there today, and they said, it's finally warm, it's finally summer. So 
That's awesome. And I'm actually going to be up there in November for the ACAM conference. So hopefully we'll be able to see each other at some point. Good. So I know you, but for those of the listeners who aren't familiar with you, could you tell us a little bit about your story and choosing the field that you did and the specialty that you've chosen? Sure. Uh, I'd like to start with explaining um, my father's history because he developed a form of arthritis when he was 19 called ankylosing spondylitis. And as a result, he took a lot of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medicines for his arthritis. And he developed his first heart attack when he was 42. And the second heart attack took his life at 53 when I was 13. So I watched that whole process, and I think that's what really got me to transfer my career from education to medicine. I actually got a, a second degree, a secondary education, bachelor degree, and a master's in counseling. But throughout my undergraduate training, I kind of developed a hobby in nutrition and health and learned yoga and spent about seven years um, in that as a hobby. And then I traveled to Hawaii and studied acupuncture and homeopathy, natural hygiene, and I actually came upon my first naturopathic doctor and realized you could actually get trained as a physician in naturopathic medicine. So I then uh, moved from the East Coast to Portland, Oregon, and attended college at National College of Natural Medicine, which is my alma mater. And in my last year, I did an emergency room rotation, which opened my eyes to the management of acute heart attacks. And then when I started my private practice, and this is in the early 80s, when naturopathic doctors didn't have hospital privileges and we trained between and among ourselves. We were a small, fledgling profession back then. So I took it upon myself to learn halter monitoring and attended whatever classes I could so I could read EKGs and monitor patients. And after doing that, uh, got some training in exercise stress testing and gradually kind of built my own career in naturopathic cardiology because there was there were no naturopathic cardiologists back then at all. So uh, in 1987, which is going on 25 years ago, I started teaching cardiology at the naturopathic medical school, and I team taught it with Sammy Gammonthaler, who was an MD cardiologist in Portland, and we uh, shared those classes for three or four years, and I learned a tremendous amount from him I co-taught with Ian Nesbitt, who was an ND but had lots of military paramedic prior experience, and I co-taught cardiology with him at Bastyr University for several years, and just continued to kind of plug away teaching naturopathic cardiology at NCNM here in Portland, Oregon, and I've been doing it for the last 25 years. Well, you must love it, huh? So now you're teaching students every single year, right? How many students are you taking on each year? Yeah, we started the program in 1999, so we're in our 12th year of training naturopathic intern, fourth-year medical students, and we're up to 24 each year now. And uh, our clinic in Portland is two miles from the naturopathic medical school, so it's convenient for, for our students to come to our private practice setting and we have uh, cardiac monitoring equipment and exercise stress testing and lung function testing equipment, uh, a cardiac lab, and we do a lot of exercise rehabilitation, as well as um, you know the management of advanced heart disease with a naturopathic emphasis. Okay, so when patients come to see you in your clinic, and obviously I know because I've spent a good amount of time there, but for those who aren't familiar, and they come mm-hmm. to see you as, as their doctor, how would their experience differ um, in coming to see you versus going to see, like, a conventionally trained doctor, for example? Well, uh, we'll spend a lot of time with patients, which um, MD cardiologists might spend lots of time as well. Our focus is going to be in analyzing their disease to determine what causes are reversible for their heart disease and then beginning a process of unraveling what it's going to take for them to rebuild their health. So the cornerstones of our therapy, rather than prescription drug or surgical intervention or stint therapy or advanced surgeries, is going to be rebuilding health with diet, exercise rehabilitation, stress management, working 
uh, toward getting people to their ideal body weight, using all the fundamental natural therapeutics and maximizing them and optimizing them in order to both uh, treat the cause of disease and begin the process of disease reversal. Got it. So it's a very different so, perspective, style, and approach. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But also, in you know, you're not afraid to use medications when they need to be used, right? Absolutely. In Oregon, naturopathic doctors are licensed to prescribe all conventional prescription drugs. So we're constantly working, um, strategizing uh, with what the best prescription drugs need to be for a particular patient. Um, how we can incorporate natural therapeutics with their prescription drugs without there being any adverse interaction problems, uh, considering if we can reduce their prescription drug load one way or another, and collaborating with their MD cardiologists in doing so. So we're constantly sending reports to their MD cardiologist about our perspective um, and, and collaborating as much as possible. And how do you find, in your experience, um, how open are the medical doctors in the area to doing that collaboration with you? Well, Portland's pretty progressive, and we don't have much of a a challenge in that regard. Uh, You know, as long as the physician on our end is doing diligence and documenting our rationale, most conventional MD cardiologists are, are open and collaborative. We haven't had many problems. We also have special uh selected MD cardiologists that do their conventional cardiology real well, and we know that they're open and comfortable with naturopathic practice. So we tend to refer to them as needed. But, of course, we'll work with any cardiologist who's willing to work with us. Absolutely. Yeah. So, obviously, this is a huge issue, heart disease in the United States. Um, and I'm sure you have patients ask you, so why do I have this in the first place? What, what would be your answer for, for just kind of understanding why heart disease is so endemic in our country? That's a fascinating question, and uh, there, we could probably talk a full hour on that alone. But I, from my perspective, the big picture is the general public doesn't realize that the heart actually generates 60 times more electrical energy than any other organ in the body. It beats over 100,000 times a day. The energy expenditure is absolutely phenomenal. It is working all the time. It's a phenomenally uh, dynamic organ. Uh, There's more motion in the heart than any other organ per centimeter squared. So you have an organ that has a tremendous work uh, load that it's having to manage throughout a person's life. And a lot can go wrong gradually over time. And if you combine that with a Western lifestyle and the way we eat and our tendencies to be too sedentary and, you know, not being at our ideal body weight, the combination of the workload stress on that organ with our lifestyle just makes it the heart very susceptible to disease. And I think that's a good way to think about it overall. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, just our our lifestyle as Americans just pretty much sets us sets us up for this, you know. And but but when it comes to children, I mean, why why do you think children are having these issues now, where they're getting placking in their arteries and they have risk factors for heart disease? I think diets number one. You know, there's so much junk food being eaten at a very early age. The childhood obesity is a new epidemic. There's so much uh, fast food that's very high in fat that begins the process of damaging the vessel walls at an early age. Kids are playing computer games and being much more sedentary than ever before. And I think those are the two biggest factors. Yeah. Well, you've been doing cardiology for a while in Portland for, you know, 20-plus years. Have you found that the the age of patients gets younger and younger who come into your office with heart, heart problems? A little bit. I don't really see that dramatically, but mm-hmm. I know that statistically, nationally, that sure is the case. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to talk about something that is pretty controversial. Um, people talk about it in terms of, you know, lowering it as much as possible to prevent heart disease, and that's cholesterol. So mm-hmm. what's your take on cholesterol? How important is, is focusing on that for preventing heart disease? Yeah, go for it. Well, what we 
like to teach is that cholesterol is one of many risk factors for heart disease. And unfortunately, 40% of the people who develop a major heart event have no risk factors at all. So everyone's at risk, regardless of what your cholesterol is or is not. But we like to look at the patient as a whole and get their cholesterol levels to be reasonably uh, well-controlled in combination with controlling inflammation, which is incredibly important important because the more inflammation there is, the more the cholesterol that we have gets oxidized. And we have other markers like a CRP, HS, which is an inflammation marker that we check in combination with cholesterol metabolism. And um, there's a lot of controversy in the alternative medical community, on the one hand, about lowering cholesterol too extensively, even though the conventional medical community is totally... Uh, consistent internally within themselves. Uh, I'm kind of in the middle of both worlds because I see uh, alternative medicine sometimes allowing people's cholesterol to be way too high and conventional medicine driving cholesterol way too low or people getting significant side effects from statin drugs and not even realizing they're getting them. I think I'm somewhere in the middle of those two extremes where we're doing our best to control cholesterol but not doing that in a vacuum and monitoring compounds like homocysteine and fibrinogen and bleeding times for clot risk and inflammation markers. So we're doing holistic naturopathic cardiology and getting all of people's markers to be reasonably well-controlled rather than just fixating on driving cholesterol way down. Right. So for those who are taking notes, just following along, what 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 are those markers you mentioned, the homocysteine, fibrinogen, what are those exactly? Yeah, homocysteine is a chemical that your liver manufactures, and if you make too much of it, it hardens your arteries. So it's an easy test to take and then lower it by taking certain B vitamin cofactors to keep it well controlled. Fibrinogen is a marker for blood thickness, and then uh, bleeding time is a blood pressure cuff on your arm that times how long it takes your blood to clot. Imagine somebody who develops a heart attack because they have a clot in their coronary artery, and in a conventional medical setting, they would have never been evaluated for how thick or thin their blood was at all. They may be given 81 milligrams of aspirin routinely, but nobody's monitoring to make sure their blood is optimally thin without being overly thin. So clotting risk, I think, is as important, if not more important, than high cholesterol in what happens to a vessel wall as it gradually develops disease over years and years and years. So if we can keep the homocysteine levels down and keep our blood thin and lower cholesterol, as well as control inflammation, then we, we're creating an optimal milieu to minimize the buildup of cholesterol plaques in the walls of coronary arteries and um, hardening of the arteries that increases your chance of developing high blood pressure, which is a massive adult epidemic all in and of itself. Right. right. Yeah. So for for those who want to really focus on prevention and, and making it to where these things aren't going to be a problem for them down the line. How can they keep their inflammation low and keep that um, that risk low for themselves in, in preventing that? Yeah. Um, when, if your cholesterol is high, as your cholesterol comes down, inflammation that's high tends to come down with it. So that's one thing you can do. But probably the biggest, most globally important thing to do is to change people's diet so their diet is anti-inflammatory and I know we're going to talk later about an optimal diet for the management of heart disease but that optimal diet needs to be relatively anti-inflammatory so that you're not aggravating the inflammatory process based on what you're eating. Mm-hmm. Is diet talked about in the conventional medical setting in terms of cardiology? It's talked about but not to the point of using diet to reverse disease which is what diet actually has been shown in research to be able to do. Right. It's more, you know, stay on a low cholesterol diet, eat plenty of fresh fruits and vegetables conventionally, you know, exercise regularly, aerobically. There are general kind of overall guidelines, 
But we use diet to reverse disease in people who have already developed disease. And um, doing that is is a, a model at a whole different level of how powerful diet adjustments can be. Mm-hmm. For those of you who just tuned in, we're talking to Dr. Mar- Marty Milner, um, naturopathic cardiologist. If you want to call and ask a question, the phone lines are open, 818-495-6919. Um, I want to ask a couple of Facebook questions here. Sure. Um, this question is from Quentin, and he says, I was recently diagnosed with a leak in my pulmonary valve. How can that be addressed naturally? Go for it. Yeah, the there are four valves in the heart, and the pulmonary valve leaking um, has lost its competence or strength so that when blood is flowing out of the heart, uh, when the pulmonary valve is supposed to be closed, it leaks uh, because of losing its competency. Uh, normally, when you have a pulmonary valve leak, often there's another valve that's leaking as well, but we don't know that in this particular case. In naturopathic medicine, we use a botanical formula, which is very good for mitral and pulmonary regurgitation or leaking valves. It's a mixture of cactus, grandiflora, which is a, a desert cactus, convalaria, which is lily of the valley, and crotagus, which is hawthorn. And we mix that in equal parts in a liquid tincture and give about two and a half to five mLs three times a day or in a drinking bottle throughout the day. And over the years, I've seen that reverse more regurgitation than anything else if it's reversible and early stage enough to be reversed. It depends on what the cause is, and there may be other chamber problems in the heart that's the actual underlying cause of the pulmonary pulmonary regurge. So we would need a little more information and review the patient's echocardiogram and get a much better sense of what's going on in order to guide them fully. Okay, great. And and Quentin, if you're listening, um, Dr. Milner has seen patients from all over the country, so you could go up to Portland and see him. (laughs) (laughs) He'll hook you up. Here's a question from um, Jen, and she said, I have read several things by docs that have said that cholesterol being a danger is a myth that was promoted in order to sell statins. I understand the CRP and triglycerides are still issues to be concerned about. Um, what, what's your take on that one? We kind of talked about that already a little bit. but Yeah, yeah, we have. Um, high triglycerides are very important with risk for heart disease because they're also an early marker sign of risk for diabetes. So when you're looking at what's called a lipid panel, it's as important to look at cholesterol as it is triglycerides. And when you're looking at lowering cholesterol, it's it's more important to actually lower LDL, low-density lipoprotein, than it is total cholesterol. And it's equally important to make sure the good guy, HDL, is as high as possible. So some people may have a cholesterol at 225, but they have an HDL at 90, and then they're at no risk at all, and their LDL is well-controlled. So it's important to look at all those fractions. And what a lot of um, cardiologists do who specialize in lipid metabolism, and we do this, of course, in our clinic, it's called a fractionated lipid panel where it's an advanced study of the cholesterol molecules, and it actually measures the size of the molecule molecules to make sure they're not too small. LDL is the most damaging molecule, and when it's too small, it kind of penetrates into the vessel wall instead of bouncing off. And statin drugs don't change the size of LDL. They'll lower the total number of particles, but uh, they won't make, make the LDL molecule larger. The only medicine that does that is niacin, a B vitamin. So we use um, slow-release wax matrix niacin product. And oftentimes we'll start with that before statin drugs because it, although there are some safety issues with niacin, it doesn't tend to cause the muscle problems that statin drugs cause. So some people have failed statin drugs and they do real well on slow-release niacin products as an alternative. Great. That was actually getting into the next question from Barbara. She she said, I've read about the therapeutic effects of using niacin for high cholesterol. And she said, what's your take on it, and what's a good brand in dosing? 
Yeah, we use Endorsin, uh, which is a wax matrix delivery system because it's the slowest and most evenly delivered niacin. And we've used it for years, and it's been studied for 20 or 30 years. And it's much, uh, in our experience, more evenly released than niacin, which is prescription slow-release niacin. But whenever you take niacin, it can elevate uric acid. It can elevate liver enzymes. So just because it's a B vitamin doesn't mean it doesn't require monitoring. So people need to get blood tested um, in six to eight weeks. And we'll start people at 500 milligrams with breakfast the first week and add another 500 milligrams at dinner the next week and then have them stay on that 1,000 milligrams for six to eight weeks and then repeat their uh, liver enzymes and their lipid panel to make sure the dose is adequate and uh, check their uric acid levels out at the same time. And then do you potentially go up from that 1,000? or what's the Yeah, cap off the you most do? we usually give is 1,500 and occasionally 2,000. In the slow-release de- delivery system, we don't hardly ever have to go past 2,000. Mm-hmm. Even, even though some of the prescription literature talks about going to 3,000 mm-hmm. milligrams a day. And if a person is on statins, can they do... The niacin as well, or does that have to be one yeah, or the other? Yeah, there are actually some drugs that mix the two, um, but I'd rather have the niacin be independent and slow released. But you could add niacin to a statin drug regime and possibly lower your dose of statin drugs and then use the niacin to help the LDL molecule get large and bounce off vessel walls, which a statin drug won't do. Okay. Got it. Um, What are some of the most common conditions that you see in your practice? Far and away the most common is high blood pressure because Mm -hmm. one-third of the adult uh, population has it. Mm -hmm. Uh, After that, we see a lot of coronary artery disease either before or after people have had uh, a stent deployed and cardiac catheterization and angioplasty or open-heart surgery. Uh, sometimes we're able to intervene before surgery and reverse disease. Other times we're trying to prevent a recurrence of disease. And then we see a lot of uh, irregular heartbeats, cardiac arrhythmias, um, bradycardias, tachycardias, premature ventricular contractions, atrial fibrillation that are, people are suffering in chronically. That's what we see the most. Okay. Got it. So let's jump into uh, hypertension. So talk about hypertension from uh, from a naturopathic perspective and what, what's your workup look like for that? Yeah. Uh, when we uh, begin the management of high blood pressure, we like to, and, and this is true for coronary artery disease and and uh, valvular disease as well, we, we really want to optimize diet, exercise, and stress management. And it depends if their blood pressure is mildly, moderately, severely, or what we call malignantly out of control. So we actually have four different algorithmic ways of intervening for the management of blood pressure depending upon how severe it is. If it's way out of control and malignant, we're going to refer them to the emergency room because the numbers are greater than 230 over 130 and they're insanely high and they're at risk for an impending stroke. So we're not going to intervene with natural medicine in an acute medical emergency scenario. On the other hand, mild hypertension is reversed with getting people to their ideal body weight with specific dietary recommendations, exercise rehabilitation, and stress restructuring. In fact, when we ask patients what they think the main cause of their high blood pressure is, they usually say stress. So in our algorithmic thinking or our protocols for how we treat high blood pressure, one of our first questions is, are you under a lot of stress? And if the patient answers yes, we then ask, do they manage it well or poorly? And if they're not managing managing their stress well, will actually train them to restructure how they respond to stress in daily living, which is not only going to help blood pressure, but it will help everything else that may be out of balance in their total health that's stress-mediated. 
And how do you do that? How do you retrain them to deal with stress differently? We use a technique that's called freeze framing, which um, uses heart rate variability, which is the variability in the beat-to-beat intervals on a waveform of a heartbeat. And what the stress research has shown is that the heart's variability is the most direct, objective tool that we have to assess how well a person is managing stress. Heart rate variability reflects directly a person's sympathetic tone, which is their ability to fight and flee in response to stress, their ability to generate adrenaline appropriately in a response to stress. And it also is the best indicator of parasympathetic tone, which is someone's ability to rest and repose and relax. So we hook people up to a sensor that evaluates their heart rate variability, and then we use that biofeedback to train them in how to restructure how they respond to stress. And it works very well, and it's very objective, so it's exciting because you can tell people to change their responses to stress, but when you have heart rate variability biofeedback, then you're able to reassure the patient that they've actually successfully achieved a change and how they're responding to stressors in their daily living. Mm-hmm. So it just trains them to basically physically or physiologically respond to these stressors in a different way, right? Yeah. The stressors are still there, but their response to it is just different. Yeah, and it's a simple procedure. You take a time out. You breathe into the area in and around your heart. You have a certain breathing technique that we train you in, and it gets you out of your head And you do it with your eyes open when the stress hits. So it's five simple steps that you can incorporate immediately once you learn your what we call stress cues or the body cues that happen to you when you're reacting stressfully to a situation. And then you kind of take control over your response and restructure how you respond from from when you might have stressed out to a totally different response pattern. I love it. Yeah, awesome. it's wonderful stuff. Well, I love it because if you don't have to take a medication or, or even an herb in that case for it, it's just really just being mindful and just changing it from the inside out. It's so powerful. And doing it at real time when the stress hits, which is what's so important because the adverse effects of stress last for hours and hours. And most people just stay unconscious whenever they're actually stress maladapted, let alone do they have a technique that they've learned to use to restructure how they're responding to stress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what if Great we need stuff. to go beyond freeze framing? What if their hypertension is a little bit more severe? We use arginine a lot. Uh, arginine converts into nitric oxide, and a Nobel Prize was granted for the unraveling of how absolutely fundamental nitric oxide metabolism is in human health. And we make nitric oxide in our own body, and most of the listeners are probably familiar with nitroglycerin that's put under your tongue if you're having angina, chest pain from coronary artery disease, and it opens up your coronary arteries. Well, you can do that naturally with the amino acid arginine. We give it with a, a special fraction of vitamin E, that's high in gamma tocopherol. And what the vitamin E does is gobble up the free radical damaging component of nitric oxide. So you get the benefit of the vasodilating, arterial widening, and opening effects of nitric oxide. So when we use it to lower blood pressure, what we're basically doing is taking the whole arterial blood tree and opening it up and dilating it and it works great for high blood pressure where the top number is a lot higher than the bottom number because that means the arterial tree has lost its elasticity and its compliance and it's getting stiff and it needs to be dilated and opened up with exercise and arginine and they work great together. Great. What about herbs? Herbal therapy for Uh, We like to use a lot of hawthorn or crotagus because while it mildly lowers blood pressure and it doesn't aggressively lower blood pressure, it has 
antioxidants naturally occurring that are called proanthrocyanidins that protect the inner wall of the artery from oxidizing. So you're reducing long-term damage on the arterial wall while you're lowering blood pressure mildly at the same time. So a lot of our protocols use high doses of uh, Hawthorne as a solid extract. We also use raw wolfia serpentina as a tincture. And then we have mixed herbal formulas. There's a Hellbrun formula. There's a Linden herbal formula that uses several herbs in combination with each other. Uh, there are semi-toxic botanical herbs like Veratrum Verde that we use in drop doses. So naturopathic doctors have an array of about 20 different botanicals that we can mix and make and customize for our patients for blood pressure control. When it's all said and done, if you have mild to moderate high blood pressure, we can always manage it with diet exercise, stress management, natural medicine therapies. We also use a lot of magnesium, which is very helpful. It's our natural calcium channel blocking medicine. So by blocking calcium channels with magnesium, that lowers blood pressure. Love it. And most of us are deficient in magnesium anyway. Yep. So what about homeopathy? How about that in your practice? We use uh, homeopathy in heart disease varyingly depending upon uh, what the situation is. Like one one example where we'll use it is if people are taking digitalis and they're getting side effects from the drug, we may give digitalis 3X to reduce the side effects of prescription digitalis. Mm -hmm. Um, We have acute medicines for functional chest pain that we use uh, when people are symptomatic for heart disease. And when they're decompensated in congestive heart failure, and the normal mechanisms of response aren't working well, there is about seven or eight different homeopathic medicines that we may add as part of their regime to pull them out of heart failure. Love it. So many tools in your toolbox. (laughs) Yeah. All right, I'm going to go back to a Facebook question now. This question is from Sean, and he wants to know, what role do infections play in heart disease? Well, they they can play a huge role, and the most concerning is a chronic low-grade infection that ends up causing chronic inflammation or a severe one-time infection that actually damages the heart. You can acquire a sudden viral illness that's so severe that you develop what's called viral cardiomyopathy, where that one acute viral illness damages the muscle cells in the heart directly. So we're always concerned as physicians that um, somebody's acute infectious disease hasn't complicated and, and caused cardiomyopathy in their heart. The other scenario we see is people who have had strep throat um, a month ago end up having the strep bacteria migrate into the valves and they develop valvular heart disease as a complication of something as simple as strep throat. So Mm -hmm. strep throat needs to be taken very seriously. And when doctors are listening to a patient who presents with a murmur of some type of valve problem, acutely in their office, you want to always ask, you know, did you have a sore throat a month ago? that lingered because that underlying lingering strep throat could be the cause of the new uh, valvular problem that's presenting. Mm-hmm. And even people who never floss or have just gingivitis chronically, that can even create that inflammation and potentially cause heart problems, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's so the chronic insidious inflammation that can cause chronic coronary artery disease, There's acute viral illnesses that can cause cardiomyopathy and bacterial infections that spread and cause valve problems. Mm -hmm. Doesn't sound like a lot of fun, huh? (laughs) It doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but it's okay. There's a lot of answers for that. So, (laughs) Um, One thing I love about naturopathic medicine is how we don't just focus on one system of the body. We're all about seeing things as a whole, and I definitely Mm -hmm. have 
been a witness to how you practice with your patients and you do the same thing. So let's talk about how other body systems can tie into heart health. So let's talk about hormones first off. How can that tie into to the, the health of the heart? Well, uh, probably the most common hormone imbalance associated with heart disease is hypothyroidism causing a slow heartbeat or bradycardia or premature beats. So mm-hmm. when your thyroid hormone level is low, the heart slows down and can slow down too much, uh, you can end up with hyperthyroid hormone disease, and then your thyroid's making too much hormone, and then you can develop uh, fast beats, tachycardias, atrial fibrillation, where the heart gets out of control because there's too much thyroid hormone. Mm-hmm. We also see uh, deficiencies of DHEA and levels of high cortisol aggravating people's stress responses associated with heart disease. When your cortisol is high and your DHEA is low, you can't repair, renew, restore, and regenerate your cells and tissues optimally, so the heart becomes more susceptible to disease and damage than it would have if your cortisol level wasn't high and your DHEA low. Mm-hmm. And then both men and women, when they go into menopause and andropause, uh, the depletion of DHEA and testosterone can weaken the heart muscle directly. And we see a lot of men in their 60s and 70s where their testosterone levels are precipitously low, and they've lost their muscle tone in response to exercise, and their motivation is low, and their mental capacity is low and their skeletal muscle is atrophying, and they have all the symptoms of a testosterone deficiency disorder uh, post-andropausal, other men slide right through and do great with exercise into their 80s, and their testosterone deficiency doesn't seem to be a problem for them. So it's very variable. Yeah, I definitely want to have a show on andropause coming up for sure. It's just a huge topic right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you work a lot with neurotransmitters with patients, right? What, yes, I do. How does that connect into heart health? Well, the biggest breakthrough we had about four years ago was realizing that people become depleted in a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, and acetylcholine stimulates skeletal muscle contraction, but in the heart, it slows it down. So when people are under a lot of stress, They use up a lot of neurotransmitters. They use up a lot of dopamine and adrenaline, and that burns out their acetylcholine. And then not only are they anxious and nervous, but their heart starts beating quickly due to an underlying acetylcholine deficiency. Excuse me. And we can provide for them the nutritional precursor materials, the choline and the vitamin B5 or pantothene or pantothenic acid. When you combine choline with pantothenic acid, it's the building block for acetylcholine. So uh, we've developed a protocol that rebuilds the pool of acetylcholine, and then it ends up slowing down a rapid heart. And we use that a lot in fast-beating heart arrhythmic problems. Mm-hmm. And you just have and them it helps basically a lot, especially the, the anxious, day, right? nervous patient. Excuse me, mm-hmm. sorry. Got it. So, last body system I'd like to touch on is digestion. How does healthy gut play into a healthy heart? Well, there's a lot of different nuances associated with that. Some of the more obvious ones are a lot of people don't digest all of the food that they're eating and the energy requirements of the heart are huge. So if you have a leaky gut or a malabsorption and all the food you eat, assuming you're getting all of the nutrients from your food supply isn't being digested, then that's going to profoundly affect energy production in the heart. So that's one element of digestion in heart disease. Uh, a lot of people lack hydrochloric acid and they can't uh, break down calcium and protein, and those are key nutrients to the heart. Also, a lot of times people have food allergies they don't realize that they have, and they're operating as triggers to their irregular heartbeat patterns. So we'll um, assess people's food allergies, and once we identify what they're allergic to and pull that out of their diet, they'll digest their food better as well, and that helps indirectly also. 
Have you ever seen it to be a case where you take out a person's food sensitivities and their arrhythmia regulates? Have you ever seen yes, that? Yes, I have. Wow. Especially reducing premature ventricular contractions, premature atrial contractions, a person whose resting heart rate is in the 90s dropping to the 70s, where mm-hmm. they're under much less strain overall. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah, I always tell my patients, it doesn't matter what kind of stress it is. Your body sees it as stress, whether it's a food sensitivity or an emotional event or, you know, whatever it is, it's still increasing those stress hormones and causing the same type of reaction. So Mm -hmm. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, and naturopathically, we're always trying to figure out the cause of disease. And what we haven't mentioned yet is the heart is so electrically sensitive because all of the heart cells are electrically polarized your heart's beating every beat based on these highly electrically sensitive cells. So when patients pass away on autopsy and they've had heavy metal toxicity, get documented, and they analyze which organs have been accumulating the heavy metals that the person's been exposed to, the heart's almost always one of the highest. Wow. So the heart really is the most sensitive organ to pretty much anything that you do well or poorly, so to speak. So if Mm -hmm. you take prescription drugs, your chance of getting side effects in your heart are great. If you um, drink too much alcohol, the chance of that damaging your heart is significant if you have more than one drink a day, you know, at a reasonable minimum. The heart uh, gets activated arrhythmically in some people with caffeine exposure. Other people do fine with it. But the amount of triggers for heart disease are huge because it's such a dynamically sensitive organ. Mm-hmm. What about electromagnetic fields? Electromagnetic fields uh, we work with directly in our clinic. We've actually studied that a lot through a technology called PEMF, Pulsed Electromagnetic Field Therapy. And the heart is, as we've said, an electromagnetic organ, as is every cell of our body. You know, there's a charge on every cell membrane, and every cell in your body has to maintain that charge. And when the charge gets messed up on the cell membrane, nutrients going in and out of the cell get disrupted, you can't get nutrition into the cell adequately, and you can't remove waste products of metabolism. And if that happens in the heart, you can damage a whole lot of these electrically sensitive cells, and then that can be one of the causes of whatever the irregular heart rhythm is that the patient has. So what we do in our clinic is we expose the heart and the whole body to a pulsed electromagnetic field that recharges all the cells in the body and gets the cell membranes of the heart cells and all the other cells back to an optimal charge. And then the nutrients get into the heart optimally and the waste products of metabolism go out and the heart heals itself just because it's electrically optimal and the cell membrane is charged properly. People don't realize that you know, human that all life is electrically dynamic and a direct current system. And here we are living in our alternating current homes with wires wrapped around our buildings and exposing ourselves to all these different frequencies that aren't found in nature. And we're having a bit of an electromagnetic crisis as a whole different uh, cause for a range of diseases that we're first starting to study because, you know, alternating current was just invented in the early 1900s. So we don't really know all of the long-term effects of it, not to mention cell phones and all this other subtle electromagnetic stress we're under. Mm-hmm. We're just one big experiment waiting for the results. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think we're definitely going to be seeing some very adverse effects coming up probably in the next couple of decades. That's my prediction. But, yeah, yeah. that's why, you know, you just feel so amazing. You get out of the house and go for a hike. It's like just getting away from that wireless connection, all that electricity. It's a huge difference. I feel it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah most people do. Mm-hmm. Not so to mention people not just walking barefoot in the ground anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there's been studies that have shown that the Earth's magnetic field has re- re- has dropped by about 40 times. Oh my gosh, uh, I've never even heard of that, really. And yeah, the magnetic field of the Earth is much lower than it used to be. Wow. And, um, so our ability to recharge ourselves is much more challenging, you know. You, you know, when the magnetic field of the Earth itself has dropped. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I've been getting up in the morning. I live right across the street from the park, so I go out there and walk in, in my bare feet and, just, you know, in the dew. I feel like those the early naturopathic fathers, you know, 100 years ago, and I, um, it's awesome. It's very recharging. It's great. And I, I've, I've noticed I've slept a lot better, and I wake up better, and it's just, it's like grounding me. You know, I was just feeling very much in my head, so I'm, I'm a huge proponent of doing that. Yeah. All right, let's take it to a Twitter question. This is Jake on Twitter, and he says, My father died of of heart disease at a young age. I'm wondering if there are any genetic tests that can be done to see if I I might have the same fate. Yes, there sure are. There are genetic markers for cholesterol metabolism. There are genetic markers for high blood pressure. There are genetic markers for clot disorders. And there are panels where certain labs... uh, bundle all the cardio cardiological genetic uh, markers into one panel that he can do. Mm-hmm. And well, uh, be a, a lab you may ask the question, so what if I have the genetic risk factors, what is what does that matter? Well, it, it matters a lot because if you have risk for a clot, we can thin your blood more aggressively than we would if we didn't realize you had that genetic risk factor. Um, if depending upon the genetic marker for high blood pressure, it will target a certain class of drugs to use and another class of drugs to avoid in order to maximize prescription drug benefit in the control of blood pressure if needed. So it's not just genetically testing yourself just to find out what your genetics are. We can actually do something with the information. Okay, awesome. So what's what's the lab that you like to run those through? We use uh, Genova, mm-hmm. which used to be Great Smokies Diagnostic Lab. They have a really great cardiovascular panel of genetic tests. Awesome. And I think Last if you question. go to their website, there may be a way that you can do that without a doctor authorizing it. Really? I'm not sure. But then you have to have someone help you uh, analyze it, and, so and, that's yeah, not good. Yeah, and it's pretty complicated. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of Berkeley Heart Labs? I'm just curious for myself. Yes, I have. They're an excellent yeah. lab. Yeah, they have great yeah, lipid fractionation them. testing. And mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with what they do with genetic testing, but they probably offer them as well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I'm glad you had heard of that one. I was curious. Um, yeah, this is a Douglas on... Good, go, go for it. They have good quality control. <laughs> oh, okay. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Are they actually in Berkeley, or is that just their name? Yes, they are. Got it. That's close to me. Um, Doug on Twitter wants to know, um, and I think you kind of already touched on this a little bit. He said, can cholesterol be too low? My aunt is on a statin, and her total cholesterol is now below 120, and I'm concerned. Yes. Uh, It is my opinion that you can drive cholesterol too low. Cholesterol is a major building block for many hormones. Uh, Cholesterol turns into pregnenolone, and pregnenolone is the precursor hormone to all of your adrenal hormones. So you can induce uh, low cholesterol into adrenal exhaustion. Anybody whose cholesterol is that low needs a full adrenal analysis workup if they're going to stay on a statin drug that aggressively. Also, um, about 70% of the brain by weight is made of cholesterol. So uh, a lot of people will get cognitive impairment from long-term overdosing with statin drugs, and they won't be able to think straight because they don't have enough cholesterol in their brain to do so. Mm-hmm. So we track carefully to make sure they're not getting any of, any of those direct side effects from low cholesterol. Mm-hmm. And isn't there research showing that there's more suicidal risk and like homicidal risk with getting your cholesterol too low? Oh, yes, there is that as well, yes. Mm-hmm. Wow, oh, good. Okay, good. I think that's it for my Facebook and Twitter questions. A um, couple more questions, and then I'll, I'll let you go. I know our, our time has flown by. Um, so, let's see here. What is the best diet to have a healthy heart? It's a plant-based, whole food, 
uh, 50% raw diet, and it's a challenging diet, but uh, it's been the best researched. And the story starts with Dr. Nathan Pritikin in the late 70s, who put people on a low-fat diet, and then Dean Ornish uh, put people on a vegetarian diet in combination with stress restructuring and yoga postures in a controlled environment for a year. But the person who really broke through in this research was both Colin Campbell in his book, The China Study, and Caldwell Esselstyn, who's a retired MD cardiologist at the Cleveland Clinic who wrote the book, Preventing and Reversing Heart Disease. And what Dr. Esselstyn did was he took 24 patients and angiogrammed them before and after a plant-based whole food diet for a year. And he was brilliant enough to make no other changes. And everybody else who's ever studied diet and the reversal of heart disease would always include stress restructuring and an exercise program. And he intentionally met with people on a weekly basis, encouraging them to make no other changes. And for those of you who don't realize what an angiogram is, it's a cardiac catheterization that takes a picture of how much coronary artery disease there is and the cardiologist will grade the coronary artery at 50, 60, 80, or 90% occluded or blocked. So these were all people with established coronary artery disease. And a year later, angiograms were repeated, and 23 out of 24 of them reversed their disease significantly. One person passed away, and on autopsy, there was no progression of his coronary artery disease. That book was published in 1995, I think, or six, And um, he's since reversed disease in over 200 patients with diet alone. Wow. So if you can reverse disease with diet alone aggressively and get that far, imagine what you can do with exercise rehabilitation, some of the specialty, specialty therapies that naturopathic doctors use, like oxygen multi-step therapy, stress restructuring, getting people to their ideal body weight, and just other overall basic treatment guidelines without even going into drug therapy. We're just talking about diet, exercise rehabilitation, and stress restructuring. And whenever you intervene in those three areas, you're building health everywhere, not just in the coronary arteries you're taking a patient and dramatically improving their overall sense of well-being in the process of reversing their heart disease. Right. It's just a natural side effect is helping the heart. Yep. I love it. Doc, anything else you'd like to leave with our listeners before I let you go? Well, I, I think that sums it up pretty well. I think we did did okay. I think we did okay, too. Not bad, huh? Uh huh. I felt like I was back in cardiology class. I was actually typing <laughs> notes. Hopefully, you didn't hear me too much, but I was actually <laughs> typing notes because it was a good review for me. So, uh huh. <laughs> yeah, well, thank blast. you so, so much for inviting me. Absolutely, I couldn't think of someone better to talk about heart health. So I'm glad that it worked out. And um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing you maybe in November and uh, enjoy the rest of your summer out there. You too. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. All right, that was our show, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate uh, all the support for the show. That was Dr. Marty Milner up there in Portland, Oregon. He is amazing, and I've seen him in action, so he knows his stuff. Uh, to learn more about him, you can check out the website, www.cnm-inc.com. Next week, I'll be taking the week off to do some housekeeping stuff uh, with the practice and writing an ebook. So hopefully that'll be done in a couple of weeks. But the show in two weeks will be on sports and natural medicine with uh, Jason Barker, all about how to optimize your athletic performance. So definitely mark your calendar on that. That's in just two weeks. Thanks again for listening. More about me, DrLaurenNoel.com. And I will check you guys in a couple of weeks. Take care. Bye-bye. 
North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's getting $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 11 Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 11 in stores only. Limit 10. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's getting $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10.